0: Well, good evening. We're gonna go ahead and get started, and uh, yeah, I am super excited that you are here tonight. Um, this is our third faith, um, faith and topic night. So, our first one we did was faith in politics almost two years two years ago, four years, three, two. It was a while ago, and then. Um, And then we did faith and social justice, where we specifically looked at, like, critical race theory, and we did those things. And now tonight... Uh, We're looking at faith in life, and we're going to look at what God's Word says on abortion and understand uh, what our role is as Christians. But really then, how do we be a people who ministers and engages others who who have had abortions, and how can we come alongside them and love them and really show them the hope of the gospel? And so tonight, uh, I just pray this is a time of encouragement, a time of instruction. In fact, I was thinking of... Uh, I wrote down 2 Timothy chapter 4, so this is Paul, and he's talking to Timothy, and the, this is his charge to him, and, and I think it's applicable to us and, and what we're doing right now. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Rep- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into the myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I feel like right now, we are doing what he says in the in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What we're trying to do is take the truths that we see in God's word and apply them to a specific cultural moment right now and a cultural topic that pervades really our society. And so uh, that's what we're hoping to do and hoping to accomplish this night. And so, uh, really, there's three goals that that I'm going to say we have. There may be more. Uh, <laughs> They may have three other goals, each of them, uh, but but at least three goals. Number one, we just pray that God would be honored in this time. Uh, God is our creator. He is the one who has made us in his image. We are doing this uh, for his glory, and so we want him to be honored. Number two, increase our understanding. Uh, in a little bit, uh, we're going to do some stories uh, where particularly, well, Carolyn, Amelia, and Ozon will share on just stories of, of people that they've known, they've interacted with, they've engaged with, who either had an abortion or, or thought about it and wrestled with it. And those stories are really, really helpful because what they do is they show how abortion becomes so convincing. And why someone would really and truly consider it. And that's something that we really need to understand. Because if we're not careful, we can kind of keep an arm's length away with people and think, well, that's people over there. But I would never do that. And if you remember, Peter did the same thing. When, when Jesus uh, said everyone's going to deny, or when P- Jesus told Peter he's going to deny him, he's like, no. Everyone else may deny you, but I will never, ever deny you. Then we see what happens. Um, if we're not careful, we can be just like that. Um, and number three, uh, our, our goal is just to remind us of the hope, uh, remind us that the hope that the world um, needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's We're not offering any six-step, seven-step method on, on really how to help people or how to... Um, Come alongside people. What we just want to know is the gospel is sufficient in every way to give life, to give healing. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And yeah, this is probably the, the weightiest of the topics that we've we've talked about: social justice and politics. I don't think they bring many tears to my eyes, um, but this one's definitely different. And so uh, I'm going to ask Ozon to pray, <laughs> and then after that. Um, Amelia's going to share about some stuff. Thanks. We're we're, we're almost through the intro. <laughs> By the way,
1: I, I put those tissues up you know, there not won't. for not for you, for me. So.
0: <laughs> that's good. That's good. I mean, we were
1: jokingly um, trying to determine who's going to be first to cry. So here we are. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you this evening. Uh, this topic is of utmost importance, Lord, because your word places so much value on life. You love every life. You love every child, um, every adult, every boy, girl, man, woman. Lord, there is no human life that goes out of the bounds of the value that you've placed in us. We've been created in your image and in your likeness Um, And you make that abundantly clear in your word how much you value life. This is why we're here. We want to honor you. Uh, We want to bring you the glory. And we want to bring to uh, the congregation and to others the attention of your word and uh, the matter of life as it pertains to our faith. We love you, Lord, that you have brought us here this evening, uh, that you have chosen this place and this time to talk about this subject. I thank you that there are emotions already, at play through Pastor Nick, you are a God of emotions. You care deeply about um, about the subject that we're going to talk about tonight. So may you be honored. Uh, may you open our minds and our hearts, our thoughts. May they be captive to Christ as we talk about these things, Lord. As we humble ourselves before you, Lord. This this conversation um, is not taking place mainstream church. Um, it is limited, really, to those who you have called into the citizen- citizenship of your kingdom. We are now ambassadors. Uh, for your glory. And so may you be honored tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. i
2: gotta
0: right. say one more thing. Yeah, go for it. Uh, one more thing. Uh, you all have a handout if you didn't get it. Did anyone not get a handout? Um, staff, can you find those real quick? Diane didn't get one up here. She's got one now. Um, but on the bottom l- corner... Uh, there is a QR code. If you scan that, that'll take you to a website, and you can type in questions throughout this. Uh, it's totally anonymous. We have no idea who's typing them in or anything else. Uh, but if you would like to, whatever question you ask, uh, we would like to hopefully be able to answer towards the end. Um, and so please use that, uh, that QR code. And all you got to do is hold your phone up to it. You're, you guys know how to work QR codes? Are we tracking? Hold your camera, hold your camera, do it, it'll do it. If not, grab one of my kids, they'll do it for you. Um, and then feel free to type in whatever questions you have, and Ozon will answer all of those at the end.
3: All right, so as we get started tonight, I kind of wanted to, um, we want to start out by kind of leveling the playing field of where you might be coming from at this issue. And we're all coming from different experiences, um, maybe experiences with abortion, maybe not so much, and so you might be coming at uh, tonight and you just feel very overwhelmed by the issue of abortion because, um, after all, Roe v. Wade was almost 50 years ago, and so this has been something that's become, um, sadly, a very normal part of American culture, and it's, and it's, a, it, it's a huge topic, and it's very nuanced, and so If you're feeling overwhelmed tonight, I hope that tonight you can um, feel equipped with some beginning knowledge, some ongoing steps of how you can engage with this issue. Um, And ultimately you can be reminded that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood or against principalities or powers or organizations or movements or political figures, but we know that it's principalities and powers. And we know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So I hope you leave tonight encouraged if you're coming into this overwhelmed. Second, some of you might be coming in here, um, and there's a lot of shame around the issue of abortion for you, because maybe you have had an abortion or you've been a part of someone's abortion decision. And I hope tonight that you just hear compassion and love, that you hear that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and that there are, is nothing, um, even something like an abortion, that is going to uh, that is going to change how much God loves you. And so thank you for making the brave decision. If you're in that category, thank you for making the brave decision to come here tonight. That's a big step to be here. And so I hope that you just hear compassion and hope and healing in what we share tonight. Now, number three, you might be coming at this and you kind of feel uncomfortable with the whole issue of abortion. And maybe you're wondering, okay, why exactly are we talking about this? Because aren't we as the church all on the same page? Like don't we know abortion's not okay? And so why are we talking about this? And so I hope that tonight you um, you hear that the church is not only called to stand up against abortion, but we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this issue. That we cannot simply condemn abortion. Our action um, in this issue has to be something greater. And I think that you'll hear some really, uh, neat beginning steps towards moving towards that. And then finally, if you have experienced pregnancy loss, if you've had a miscarriage, a stillbirth, something like that, some of what you might hear tonight might be uh, triggering or difficult. And so feel free to step out at any point if, um, if it's just too much for you to hear, we're not going to be graphic or anything, but it's, it's a difficult topic. And so if you need to leave at any point, there's, there's no judgment there. So that's just that's kind of where we're coming at and so um thank you all for being here this is an important topic for us to be discussing and you showing up is is a great great step in that direction can
0: we can we take a moment also i think we might have skipped a step and uh especially for you two uh, i think it's important that we introduce not on, not only who we are but but why we're up here and uh, I think that especially pertains for, for both of you, uh, ladies. Um, you know me. My name is Nick. I'm I'm the pastor here. And why? Uh, that's how I got up here. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's why I got up here. Uh, and and you want to share a mic? Is that one working out okay?
1: I think it's working now. Are okay. we
0: good? Okay. You want me to
1: introduce why I'm here? Yeah. Uh, my name is Ozan. I'm one of the elders here. And um, I originally was was not going to be a part of this panel. Um, but as God would have it, Chris Gorman, who was going to be here, uh, was going to be out of town. And so I'm very thankful that I get to be here. I, I've interfaced um, both in the secular world with people who've been dealing with the subject of abortion as well as in the church situation. So some of the stories I'll be sharing tonight are going to be both related to my work situation, people outside of the church as well as those inside the church. So I'm excited to share some of those stories.
3: Yeah, yeah so I'm the director of communications at CareNet of Puget Sound. And that's a pregnancy resource center that serves King and Pierce County. And so I've been there about two and a half years. And so um, along with Carolyn, I'm very much, uh, you know, kind of in this world of uh, providing support to women who feel s- forced to have an abortion by their uh, circumstances and providing that solution and those alternatives to those women. I'm Carolyn Miller, am I on? Now
4: I, I Am, yeah, there I am. <laughs> Um, I'm Carolyn Miller, and I'm uh, th- I'm the nurse manager at Options Pregnancy Clinic um, in Olympia. We are an affiliate of CareNet, so we're together that way. We just do business as Options Pregnancy Clinic. Um, I've been a registered nurse for 34 years, and I thought I was retired, and <laughs> God said, <"Nip." laughs> Uh Yeah, I just was. Uh, immensely honored to, in fact, what was it, a year and a half ago or so, I told the discipleship group, and they were trying to talk me into, <laughs> she was trying to talk me into coming, doing ultrasounds, and I'm like, yeah, that's not my thing, I, you know, I've never been pregnant, I've never, you know, done maternal nursing, or neonatal nursing, or, you know, I don't know anything about all that, and, <laughs> but, um, yeah, here I am, so, uh, thanks, Pastor Nick.
0: Well, I think it's important, because the things you all are bringing are not, Uh, read from a book. You all are are, are two individuals who are very much immersed in this topic in in ways far more deeply than than most of us are. And so your wisdom and instruction here is really, really valuable. Uh, What we want to take a moment to do is before we kind of get more into uh, what like kind of the state of abortion, before we get to that, is just really talk about why does this matter? Like, like in, in really looking at just a very spiritual level, according to God's word, what is taking place here? And so I want to do this in two ways. I want to look at it in a vertical dimension uh, between uh, what abortion says about God, and then I want to do it in a horizontal way and really look at the, the pain that, and the shame uh, that just abortion causes. And to do that uh, in, in a little bit, we'll look at a video that actually Karen has put together that I think is very helpful there. Um, But when we begin to consider just the vertical dimension here, the vertical component, um, there's at least two things I want us to see. Number one, we know that we're all made in God's image. I mean, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we know that man is created in the image of God, but some people will then say, well, but after sin, are we Really? Well, interestingly, in Genesis 5, uh, once again, we will see how Adam, who's made in the image of God, has a son born in his image, which thus the son would still be born in the image of God. And in Genesis 9, I believe verse 6, when God gives the Noahic covenant, after he's flooded the earth, and he turns and said, whoever kills a man... Will then be killed because to kill someone is to kill someone made in the very image of God. In Genesis uh, 9 6, it reads, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. From before sin and then even after sin, it is affirmed in Scripture that man is made in God's image. Now we know that after sin, th- there's some differences there that we've been, um, th- that image has been twisted to a degree, but Biblically, it, we're still in the very image of God. Uh, and so that's, that's helpful to understand and, and to realize. And then secondly, being that we are made in the image of God, meant to reflect him, meant to glorify him, uh, we also realize that every single conception in God's word is a result of God's power in his grace. Do you realize that? Like every single, like science actually doesn't help us here. Science actually will say, well, the reason you were born, and they'll start trying to give some scientific answers. But the biblical writers were much more intelligent than we are in that sense because they saw every single birth as a result of God's grace. And every time a womb was closed was an act of God also. In fact, um, I I began just going through Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Ruth, Elizabeth, um, John the Baptist's mother, All their wombs were closed, and yet by God's grace, he opened them, and they all attributed the child that they conceived by an act of God's grace. And when women were not able to conceive in the word of God, it is always also attributed to God that he held their wombs closed. So we know that the reason women ultimately conceive is not because of a a scientific or just biological answer, but it's an act of God's grace. In fact, Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And Psalm 113, verse 9 says, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And so we we see that all throughout Scripture that God is the one who gives life to every single person. There is no accidental births according to God's Word. Every birth. Which means every person born, every person who, every stillborn, every child, whether they come out of the womb alive or not, is an act of God's grace and an act of his power. And so abortion then, when we begin to think along these lines, we see that it's an affront to God's glory. We understand that man is created to reflect that glory. And so when man says, no, no, we're going to to kill that which images God We're attacking the very glory of God. We're attacking that which is to magnify him and to reflect his image. Abortion is an affront to God's power. We understand that creation, every created being, every heartbeat comes by his power. And and every heartbeat is sustained by his power. So abortion is an affront to God's power. Say no. We can subvert that power. We can overcome that. And abortion is an affront to God's rule where God is the one who is bringing forth life and yet now man is putting himself in the place of God saying, no, no, I now have the ability to choose that which is worthy of life and that which is not worthy of life. And so we just need to understand that abortion is not spiritually neutral in any way, but it's an attack on our, on our God, our Creator, our Savior, and our Lord. And so, so there's, there's that vertical element there, that every act of abortion, whether conscious or not, is, going to, is seeking to dethrone God, remove his glory and his power and his rule. Um, but then there's also a, a, a kind of a horizontal dimension to it. And, and what I want to do is, is there's about a three-and-a-half-minute video, and hopefully it works. We were having a little problem earlier. Uh, but I want to show this video, and, and then I just want to talk about what we see that abortion does on, on a horizontal level, the pain and the shame that it can bring about. And so, Steve, if if you're ready, we'll go ahead and fire that.
2: I grew up in the church. So when I started dating, my boyfriend was also a Christian. We were both... Christians and we wanted to save sex for marriage and we failed and I became pregnant we were so ashamed um, of our failure and in order to hide our sin we decided to get an abortion the father of the child uh, basically left uh, once I told him our situation. And so even in that, the decisions that I made were, were mine alone. I didn't know what to do. And I wait and I wait and I filled the baby for the first time. And so I got more than desperate.
1: My thought was, I'm not making the decision here for the abortion. Uh, but if they're gonna have one they're gonna I'm gonna do it well. I'm gonna be good at it.
2: I feel like uh, life went out of me, not just only the life of the baby. My life went off. It was 17 years before I really dealt with it. There is nothing more beautiful than somebody who has experienced the pain of abortion being healed and set free from that pain. I was probably 20 years after when I have a friend in Kernet saying that they have a group. And so I went to a retreat and I said things that I had never said before within a setting of a group of women. And it was absolutely amazing to not carry the shame and to be very clear and confident that there was no more shame. He's a redeeming God and He took something I was never going to share with anybody, and he redeemed it so that now I get to minister to other women who have experienced that pain.
1: God has shown me that there's so much forgiveness and grace, and I ended up doing
0: ultrasounds, and I was able to pray with some of the clients which has been just a great gift. I've done terrible things, and I know that I'm forgiven.
2: So if we can come together as a church and fight the enemy on this topic from a place that's heartfelt, then I think that people would be more willing to hear us out. God doesn't redeem people or sanctify people through shame, he does it through his abundant grace. And that's what we have to emulate in the church to be his hands and feet. If someone's wanting to be involved but they don't feel qualified, I would say that when you're in a place of humility, that's when God can really utilize you. As how Roman says, he will use everything for the good everybody has a place to be involved
0: there's a there's a few key things I think just I've watched that video several times that really stood out to me um, number one is the word failure you notice that when she said we we were gonna save sex for marriage but we didn't so we were a failure and, and then they felt shame upon that. And then when you see that there was failure and shame, the combination of those led to, we need to hide our sin. So we're going to have an abortion. Can you see how easy that just tracks? There was shame or there was failure. We, we didn't do what we thought and what was the, the ex- expectation. Therefore, there's shame. and We don't want to tell anyone about that. And and so we hit it. So the only redeeming thing that could bring our life back to normal yeah. would be an abortion at that moment. And then their thing was, and you notice they say 17 and 20 years later they carried that pain. Like that's huge. And just thinking that there are people in, in our church, there are people in our culture that they've had an abortion and they're carrying pain with them for 5, 10, 15, 20 However many years, because they even haven't heard the gospel, or they didn't know the gospel was for them. They thought they had gone too far, or, or that, you know, the gospel saves sinners, but not those who have committed abortion. And then at the end, uh, you just hear that the freedom and the hope. There is hope in the gospel. There is hope that Jesus' blood does wash our sins away as white as snow. And, and that's just what we want to communicate, is that's our hope. Because that's the only thing that brings healing. That's the only thing that brings restoration. That the only thing that can make us whole again is Jesus Christ and the gospel that he brings us. Um, anything you want to add to that?
1: I'm just going to cry with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
3: would say, too, um, A really neat detail of that video is that Dr. Snyder, who did perform abortions for years, is now one of the medical directors at Cairnetta-Puget Sound. And so now he has the honor of serving women that come to him for uh, prenatal care after they were going to have an abortion. And so I hope that you hear out of that, whether you are carrying the shame of a past abortion or the shame of fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, I hope that you just hear That there is forgiveness and there is healing in the gospel no matter what you have been through or what you've done.
1: I just want to share just a very brief um, personal story just kind of leading up to this. This was right after Gideon, who's um, eight years old now, um, right after he was born. Um, I came home and I shared this passage with my wife. And I just want to read this to you. It's out of Isaiah chapter 49. Starting in verse 13, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. God has compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Now, I don't pretend, um, even for a moment, being able to walk in the shoes of a woman, let alone one who's been through an abortion And I shared this with my wife, and I said, look at what verse 15 says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet God will not forget you. And I remember telling my wife, did you know that a woman can forget the child of her womb? And she said, there's absolutely no way. And I remember thinking to myself, God's word says they might and she says, look, I don't care what that verse says. There's absolutely no way a woman can forget the child of her womb. And it settled in my mind at that moment. If I ever have to preach on this verse, I would not suggest even for a moment that a woman forgets a child of her womb. And so to hold that kind of guilt for 15 years is just an amazing thought to consider. You see, what God was doing in this passage, he wasn't trying to say a woman may forget. God is saying, this is how intimate my relationship with my people is, that it's, it's, it's compared to a woman who's holding a child in her own womb. And I, it just, it draws me in now, especially as I look now through the lens of my own wife who says there's absolutely no way that a woman can forget this sort of situation because there's this intimate thing that's formed between woman and child that God uses to compare between us and him. I just praise God for that. You know, there's just something so special about that, that uh, union that takes place between child and mother. That was Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 13.
0: Well, how about we um, want to take a little bit of time, and Amelia has, has spent a lot of time as the communication coordinator, uh, in, in knowing a lot of the details that are specifically taking place around Thurston and, and King and Pierce County here in Washington. And so she wants to share a little bit about just the state of abortion. Just what does this look like around us? And we're not giving numbers and statistics to overwhelm, but, but to paint a picture. We, we just want it to be accurate here. And, and so if you don't mind sharing just some of the things that you have there.
3: Yeah, so obviously when we're talking about abortion, we want to define that as the deliberate ending of um, a human pregnancy, or as we would understand it, you know, the deliberate ending of an unborn human life. And so... um, Really quick, to give us some history on this, let's go back to when Roe v. Wade came on the scene in America. So I didn't know this until I started researching it, but um, Washington State had legalized abortion before Roe v. Wade was legalized. And so in 1970, uh, Washington State legalized abortion, and we were one of the first states to do that. And then Roe v. Wade came along and basically was like, hey, states that are, it's unconstitutional, you cannot be outlawing abortion uh, before the pregnancy is viable. And so that's what Roe v. Wade did, and that's why what Texas is doing is so, um, you know, flies in the face of Roe v. Wade and why Roe v. Wade might be overturned and all the complexities there. But So abortion has been legal in our state for over 50 years now. And um, if you're familiar with Roe v. Wade and how that was sold to the American public, the slogan was safe, legal, and rare. And so the idea was that, well, no woman wants to have an abortion. Very few women will have abortions. But for the women who do have abortions, they should be safe and they should be legal. And so that's how it was sold to the American public. And it was, Roe v. Wade, we know, was put into law in 1973. Now let's fast forward to where we're at in 2022. And the landscape of the abortion issue has changed drastically. Safe, legal, and rare is are words of a bygone era and now the focus on abortion is accessibility and anonymity. So um, something that paints a picture of how important uh, abortion access is and how uh, that is such a prevalent idea in our culture is that in 2020 um, medical abortions which are the primary uh, which are the majority of abortions the early in the pregnancy, generally earlier than fifteen weeks along, uh, were temporarily legalized to be sent to a woman's home. So medical abortions generally are completed at a woman's home, so that wasn't a shift, but the fact that now she didn't need to even go to a clinic to pick up the medication. Um, it was under the guise of COVID that, listen, she's not. She doesn't have access to her abortion care anymore and so now we need to allow abortions to be mailed to your to her home and in the past six months that was um, passed in washington state that now you can have abortions mailed to your home indefinitely and so it's no longer just under covid and so just so we're aware of where we're at and once again this all fits in with the idea of sex accessibility and anonymity right that she shouldn't need to go to a clinic she shouldn't need to have an ultrasound she shouldn't need to um, you know have a waiting period that many states do have a 24-hour waiting period because that, that that limits her access. So I say all that just to say that we need to know kind of what we're talking about, that we're not talking about a Roe v. Wade America, we're talking about a very different America today. And that's why you will see slogans such as, shout your abortion, abortion is health care, abortion is normal. Go to any local abortion clinics website and you will see abortion is normal is on their website. So we've moved from rare to this is a normal woman's experience. And statistically, one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. And so sadly, it is a fairly common experience for many women and the statistics do reflect that because in 2020 um, there were 16,000 abortions just in our state alone and so to quantify that for us imagine that you pick up Stillicum and you pick up DuPont which are small communities but still a lot of people live there and you just pick them up and you just dump them in the Puget Sound and they're just gone that's the equivalent of one year of abortions just in our state and statistically once again um Th- these counties lining the Puget Sound of King, of Pierce, of Thurston, do rank for the highest number of abortions uh, per 1,000 women. And so it's, it's all around us, and, um, and all of this begs the question of, well, why are women having abortions? And we did get a taste of that in the, in this video, of the desperation that a woman goes to that would lead to her having an abortion. But the key idea here is that... Um, is that abortion presents itself as a woman's savior. Abortion is what is going to keep her in college. It's what's going to keep the father of the baby, because sometimes the father of the baby threatens to leave if she decides to carry. Um, It's what's going to keep her current children fed and diapered, because she can't be a single mom of three, of four. She can hardly take care of the ones she has. And so abortion is her savior. And that's how it's been sold to the, to the public. That's how it's been sold to women. And so once again, as we've been saying, there's, we need to have a level of compassion that, you know, if you've never been in an unplanned pregnancy situation, I haven't been, it's, it's easy to look and be like, well, I would never have an abortion. But these are the real struggles that women are facing. And I know that Carolyn, you have stories that represent that, Carolyn, you're sitting down with these women, um, and having the ultrasounds with them, women who are considering abortion. So she's seeing the real-life struggles these women are going through.
4: I just kind of got to read my notes here, but um, for instance, there was one gal. uh, She'd just gotten out of jail. Um, Her two children were with CPS because she had been in jail. So she came in already angry and fighting against CPS. She didn't have a job yet. Um, She just wanted an abortion. Uh, But because our clinic is... Uh, we We try to do a really um, thorough job of uh, presenting ourselves as non judgmental and and just please be welcome to come in and and talk about your dilemma you know uh, we 'll be with you in it uh, because of that. Uh, she felt comfortable coming to us actually to talk about abortion um, and there was no judgment up front, but uh, we did have a chance to share the gospel with her, so that was an interesting one.
3: Yeah, and I mean, honestly, what I would say is that Carolyn knows firsthand, being the one who is meeting with these women. But I was talking to one of our client advocates, which is what we at CareNet call those who meet with women, and she she said it so poignantly. She said if you do not have a strong ethic of believing in the value of every human life, you will look at some of these situations and you will think, yeah, you should probably have an abortion. (laughs) Because when a woman comes in homeless, when a woman comes in 20 weeks and she's been doing drugs her entire pregnancy, when she comes in and she's um, the father of the baby is threatening to leave her and she's gonna have to clothe and feed the three other kids that she has, from a human standpoint, it's very easy to see that abortion is your only solution. And so often the father of the baby does play such a key role. Statistically, he's the biggest influencer on whether or not she will carry. And so his role in this is so very important.
4: When you're expressing empathy right now, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not well, very good it. at that, but I'm <laughs> trying yes to learn. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Just the way you said, you could see how they would want to do that. Yeah. Um, you can, and, and we'll get into uh, being alongside uh, someone who's post-abortive. But, yeah, it's a balance between uh, empathizing with them just on that sort of horizontal level and yet, you know, keeping our, uh, as I was looking at the video, keeping our eyes on the cross. Mm. You know, not just for Jesus's glory, but for that person's healing. You know, your heart goes out to them. Um, there, there was a gal that you said 20 weeks. We had a gal that came in... Um, that said, she. So they don't always, especially some of our homeless folks, or um, uh, maybe gals that were in jail or something. They, they don't always know when their last menstrual period was, so their days are they're not counting well. Um, but she uh, she said she had gone cold turkey off um, shooting uh, methadone two months ago. Um, she didn't know her last menstrual. Um, and she came to us because she needed a verification of pregnancy in order to uh, be able to move into a shelter. Uh, so, you know, we were just when she left, and she, she she scheduled the ultrasound with us, but uh, to come back to have that done um, the following Monday or something. But you know, we I mean, we just went into prayer. We're like, oh, this baby's you know already um, got methadone running through the blood and everything at such a tiny, vulnerable stage in life. And uh, so we were praying hard. She came, oh, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. She came back. We did the ultrasound. Uh, it turned out uh, baby was only six weeks, mm. um, not 14. So long story that I'm still learning some of these ins and outs um, of the biological, patho- pathophysiological th- effects. But, uh, yeah, baby's, baby's going to be okay. Baby looked good <laughs> on the ultrasound, so.
3: Well, and something really quick, I guess, to clarify is that um, currently in Washington State and under Roe v. Wade, abortion is legal up until what's considered viability, which is 24 weeks of pregnancy. And the caveat beyond that is that you can have an abortion um, beyond 24 weeks in cases of the life or health of the mother. Life or health of the mother is never actually clearly defined. And so late-term abortions, 30, 32, 36, 38 weeks— Are are legal, Um, they're going to be very expensive, but once again, we need to just kind of paint a picture. And the majority of um of abortions are happening early in the pregnancy. But once again, this is this is what's all around us. And I don't I don't know about you, but I express this to um other people who work in the pregnancy help movement. Um you see some of these stories of maybe what someone has gone through with an abortion or um someone who's looking at an abortion. And you kind of want to pinch yourself because you feel like you're living an alternate reality. But it's not an alternate reality. This is reality. It's just in our faces. And so um, it's, it's hard to talk about, but, but this, is, this is the reality. These are the hard stories of women who are facing abortion decisions. So, uh, In
1: 1973, um, the, you, what, what we're talking about tonight, um, it's not a political issue. Um, what we're dealing with is it's a spiritual issue. It's, it's God's attitude towards life. Um, and when we transitioned as citizens of this world into citizens of the kingdom of God, we became, as God puts it, ambassadors for God's word. Um, and in 1973, when the court ruled that abortion is legal and they chose to exclude the unborn infants from the 14th Amendment, that is no person shall be deprived of life without due process, what they did in doing so is they said that unborn children are not people. Have you ever wondered what what God's relationship um, was like towards you uh, before you were born? The Bible gives us ample evidence. I just want to share a few of these with you. It's so common for him to say he fashioned. And I love that word fashion, right? I mean, God put intentionality um, into creating every single one of us. Psalm 139, verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Job chapter 10, your hands fashioned and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You've granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job chapter 31, did not he who made me in the womb make him, speaking of other people? In other words, um, it, it, the value that you placed on me in creation, did you not place that value on other people? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Psalm 22, speaking of Jesus, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. And I love this, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to all nations. Jesus has this amazing view of you before you were even born. The question in my mind is not, um, what do we do with children after they're born? The question in my mind is, when does life begin? And the Bible makes that amply clear that Life begins at the moment of conception. Look, scientists and theologians alike uh, have arrived at this conclusion that everything that's necessary to make a person is formed right there at the moment of conception. And it's rare in the Bible when you would see something um, described as, yes, they conceived and bore a child. You know, God doesn't view us as ignorant people. He, does, he, he could totally skip the conceived piece, right? Uh, when somebody's born, we can pretty much assume that somebody was conceived, but, but, but rarely will you ever see in the Bible... Uh, where he just says somebody bore a child, it's always accompanied with they conceived and they bore. It's almost like he's making just, just this statement, okay? Life begins at the moment of conception. Um, with that in mind, I want to just share with you a brief story of a, a, a woman who I met. This was early on in my Christianity. I'm just excited about Jesus Christ. I want people to go into the church, and I'm on my way to a site. This is where the woman who I work with. And she's describing this horrific incident that she had at church. Because I was inviting her to the church, and she said, there's no way that I would step foot into the building of a church. And I asked the details of that, what exactly happened. Well, this particular woman um, had a child out of wedlock. And at the same time, there was another couple in the same church who had a child within the bounds of marriage. And what the church had decided at that moment in her life was, because you had the child out of the bounds of marriage, we're going to completely dismiss you as anyone that we should care about. We're not going to hold a baby shower for you. We're not going to come alongside you. Um, There's no way that we are going to reinforce this kind of behavior in this church. And there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, the the holiness of God is not something that we should should just put aside. And so I could totally see from that perspective a church who says, we're not going to associate ourselves with this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, There's this notion that somehow we need to enforce guilt and shame onto a particular individual. So as she's going through the paces of this this pregnancy and eventually having this birth, she was completely outcast by the community that should have loved her the most. Um, This resonates with me uh, because our response is extremely important as a church. Um, I don't view my duty as one in the church to press on guilt and shame. My duty is to inform people of God's holiness, what's right and what's wrong. The guilt and shame sort of accompanies in these certain circumstances. The moment that women need the love the most is a moment we should be coming alongside them and loving them. Um, fast forward. I remember thinking to myself, there's no way this is going to happen in my church. And wh- why, is it, why is it that I share with you the subject of the child being born? Because imagine a younger woman who's saying, All this unravel within the bounds of their own church, and now they find themselves pregnant outside the bounds of marriage. What do you think is going through their mind? There's absolutely no way that I'm going to reveal this to the church body. There's no way that I'm going to inform them that this, this heinous act has taken place. And so then they consider, possibly for the first time, abortion because of that certain circumstance. Fast forward, there's another woman within our church who, who does have a child out of wedlock yet again. And it's actually built into the policy of the church that I was attending that anybody who has a child out of wedlock, we will not hold the baby shower for them. I had no idea, by the way, um, that this was a policy of this church. And when I found out that that was the policy, it kind of made me sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to try and understand like the, the traditional mindset of, of the holiness of God is we're not, gonna, we're not even going to entertain This kind of behavior within the church. And so the pendulum swings so far over and it says, uh, whatever we can do to prevent this behaviorally from happening, we're going to roll that in our policy and we're going to make it abundantly clear to the congregation, if this is how you are going to, to behave, then expect bad treatment. On the other hand, you've got the pendulum on the other side, churches who say, you know what, do whatever you want. And so abortion, it's not even a second thought anymore, because they just say, as often as you want to have an abortion, have it, because where sin is you know, abounding, all the more does what grace abound, right, is the sort of passages that they'll throw out there. And so you've got this pendulum saying, but there is a middle ground. There is a middle ground. It is that God is holy, God is righteous, God determines what is right and wrong, and at the same time, we've been called to love and come alongside people and love them like Jesus loves the church.
0: Um. I like that because it it puts a false dichotomy between holiness and grace, where there is no dichotomy. In fact, what you see in Scripture, like you go to Ephesians 1, where it talks about how um, God elected and predestined, and and he talks about all of this um, salvation that he determined before creation. And when you get down into it, the purpose of it, which I think is Ephesians 1, 6, 7, or 8, somewhere in there. It talks about, is for the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. The purpose of creation, the purpose of redemption, the purpose of all that God has done is that not only his glory, but his glorious grace would be on display and would be exalted and glorified and worshiped for all of eternity. In fact, when you go to Ephesians 2, 7, one of my favorite verses, it talks about that from all of eternity god 's grace will be bestowed on his bride forever. his grace doesn 't stop like he doesn 't give grace on this earth and then we come to the new heavens and new earth you know Zion the the fulfillment of it all and then grace stops grace continues, and yet God has never ceased being holy His holiness is grace his grace is love. We create these false dichotomies where we, we think we have to do one or the other and yet to truly reflect the image of God is to be gracious, is to be holy, is to be loving. Yeah, no, and I love it. You go to where do we determine um, life? And I think what one thing we understand is that the image of God is not physical. Like we really have to understand that because if we can if we can understand that part, it really eliminates the need. Do we need to see ten fingers? Like, because if God is spirit, then what does it mean to reflect the image of God? It's surely not physical. It might include some of that I just keep losing papers left and right. <laughs> whatever. But there is much, much more to representing and reflecting the glory of God than simply having two feet and two hands. Yeah.
1: We we all we all, um, we all come into this world deformed.
0: Yeah, it's very <laughs> I'm very convinced true
1: of that. You know, but the, but there is there is silver lining. Um, and I, I was I was exposed to a minister. This was uh, a few years ago now. He, he's not even alive anymore. Oh, I need to hold the I need to hold the mic up to my uh, to my mouth. Uh, a minister who, who is, is no longer alive, but he had a heart towards um, ministering at Planned Parenthood, and and he showed me what that middle ground looks like. Um, because he arrived with a deep and profound love for everybody who walked through that door. He loved the woman who was going in there to abort that child. He loved that child who was about to be aborted, and, and I remember thinking, if if the child had a voice, he or she might say, "Mom, don't do it. You have no idea what you're doing." Uh, And so there's no voice Like you know, when when you think of civil rights movements around the United States, there's always a voice behind it. There's a man or woman who stands up and says, we're no longer going to tolerate this for the unborn child. There's no voice. And so the church becomes the voice for the unborn voices that in speaking out and God says it's like the blood is being crying out now. Uh, as a result of what's taking place. And so we have this responsibility now. To speak to that. And I remember uh, within. This is within a women's group now. And this story is just shared with me. Uh, a woman who was a stripper. And she got pregnant. And she was concerning abortion. And these women just prayed. And they, they, they pleaded with her. You know. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, reconsider what it is that you're doing. And she went through with the abortion. Fast forward. Another child. Same woman. Same circumstance, heading over to the abortion clinic, women just said, we can't take this. And they just invited just uh, this massive body of churchgoers and said, we're just going to pray. And we're just going to see what God does. Mm -hmm. That woman, before she hit the the abortion clinic, turned around Mm -hmm. and said, I can't do it. Um, And she had a baby. And and what's amazing about all this, she she had no relationship with God prior to that. She comes over, and they just lavish her with love. The, the, the baby shower now being presented. I mean, the baby shower was so, this is within my own neighborhood. The baby shower was so big, they had to come in. They had to borrow like 15 extra chairs um, out of my home in order to accommodate everybody who just wanted to reveal to this one, we love you, and we love this unborn child. So there, there is good news. There is good things happening that's rooted within what the Spirit is doing among his body. And so I praise God for that.
0: I
3: would just echo what Ozan was saying, that um, that if we truly believe that Jesus Christ has, has the words of eternal life, that if we truly believe that we have the guidebook of how you can live a life that is honoring to God and beneficial um, for yourself and for others, I think that would change how we get engaged on this issue of abortion. I think it would change how the church saw themselves as first responders to a woman who is considering abortion because she has first responders. her first responders are the abortion clinics and I know Nick referenced that um, I'd said that the church pushes women into the arms of abortion clinics and i don't i don't I don't say that to to put down the church. I mean I am part of the church, but when we respond in ways that um, that deny her own humanity, while trying to uphold the humanity of the unborn child, there are women who are willing to sit down with her and hold her hand. There are women that will wrap her up in hugs. And they're at abortion clinics. And they truly believe in the deepest part of their heart that they are doing what is best for this woman. And they will help her, and they will hold her hand during the abortion, and they will listen to her and they will care for her. And how would the... the how would abortion change? How would this issue change if the church rose up and and decided that, no, we're going to be there for those women. When someone in our church body has an unplanned pregnancy, we're not going to move away from her. We're going to move into her. When we hear about somebody in our church that, oh, their daughter got pregnant, did you hear? We're not going to move away from that woman. We're going to move into that woman. I think it, it would change so much because we as the church, we have to be providing the answer we have to be engaging with this issue I understand it's not something anyone wants to look at it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a car crash or something you just want to look away because it's it's too horrible to look at but we have to engage as the church and we can engage from a place of confidence that we have the hope of the gospel for these women and for these men
0: that's good. So what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about what is our response and how can we be more effective as a church um, in coming alongside those who have either had an abortion or are wrestling with it. I mean, you know, just even as you talk, and Ozon, as you kind of echoed the words also, is, is this idea of shaming those who, who already feel shame. And yet when we come into the Gospels and we look at Jesus and we see who he hangs out with, like, he goes to the prostitutes. He goes to the tax collectors. In fact, all the, all the self-righteous Pharisees are, like, upset. Why does he eat with the tax collectors? And Jesus is like, because I came for sinners. And one thing Chris Gorman, I think, one of our other elders, has done a good job of saying, are we a friend of sinners? Are we, are we doing life with them? Or are we always moving away from them? And so, one thing we need to wrestle with is how are we engaging. So I want to take a moment and just think corporately, and then we'll kind of talk through men and women and and even teen and and children. What is it that we can do? Um, One of the things is is doing this right here, is making sure that we know that we want to engage in topics like this, Um, not because we're strong enough or wise enough to handle it, but because our God is, So we want to create these opportunities because uh, one thing that you said in our our, one of our first times, I think, Amelia, is when when a woman hears pro pro life, they hear what?
3: Pro birth.
0: And when they hear, I'm getting confused. My and when they hear pro choice. Pro woman. Yeah.
3: And so, and that, sorry. Oh, go mind. run with that, it. If, if you can think about, if they hear, when we people hear pro-life, they hear pro-birth. So you only care what they believe is you only care that the child's born. After that, you don't care what happens. The child just has to get out of the uterus. That's all you care about. That's That's what they believe. And when they hear pro-choice, they hear, oh, you care about the woman. You see the woman. And if you can go into seeing these posts on social media from people you might not agree with, seeing um, political candidates where they're coming from and stuff. That's going to change how you view this, and it can give you compassion that um, they're, they're misplaced good intentions, but truly people who are pro-choice, they believe that they have, the, they have a heart for women, and they're doing what is best for women.
0: And so what, what I loved and hated at the same time when she first said that was I was totally abhorred. And I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm not against the woman at all. I want the baby, and I want the woman, and yet they only hear one side. And so that means we need to think on how we communicate there. So we need to, we need to research, we need to study on this topic, not only from maybe the side that we support, you know, this, this idea of pro-life, but we need to understand what are they hearing so we can effectively speak in a way that they will hear the gospel, that they know that we care not only for the life within them, but for their very life as well, and so uh, we need to have times like this. We need to have times where we're, we're wrestling with these topics, and we're growing in our understanding, and and we need to take moments where we, as a church, will take strides forward, In how is it that we can actually tangibly make a difference, and so um, I do have one thing. I I don't remember if it's on your, your notes, uh, but coming up March 19th, uh, so that's not down. It, it is down? Okay, so it says March 19th. Uh, we're going to partner with an organization called Love Life. Uh, Love Life is a local organization um, here, and there's, it's, it's, it's in the United States. I think there's six. I forget how many. I think there's six offices so far, six areas in which they're represented um, And what their ministry is specifically dedicated to coming along is helping the church come alongside those who are seeking abortion. And so on March 19th, what we're going to do is we're going to go as a church, uh, and all details will be given much more later, uh, but we're going to go pray outside the Planned Parenthood Clinic. Um, And we're going to do it through Love Life. They're uh, They're going to walk us through what to do, how to do it. There's no really engaging at that moment. All they're asking is just come see what happens, be present, and just pray. And then there's going to be one action item that they're going to ask us uh, just to do on the way home. And it's just pray, is there any way, or do we feel God is calling us at all to be more involved in a ministry like this? That's it. So it's just come, look, watch, pray, and then pray as you leave again. It's just How is God working and moving in us? So that's the first thing that, that we're going to do as a church, just corporately taking the whole church and say, well, let's just go make sure we're better seeing and understanding this, and then we just want to begin praying and seeing what is it that God does. So those are corporate things we can do, and there are more things that we can do on top of that, um, but we also want to address men. on. what are some things that we can do, uh, and, and what we want to do is, is think about men who may have been a part of a woman having an abortion, but then also just, just men who are maybe husbands, maybe fathers, uh, just in a church. What is it that we do? How can we be better equipped to not only come alongside, um, but to better prevent abortions even within the very circles that we are in? Yeah. So I set you up with a whole lot of stuff. No, so if you no, could answer all of that comprehensively. Absolutely. In order. In order. Timed. Yes. Um.
1: I, w- what helps me, and what, what I love about um, the attitude of Paul in the Bible, if, if I you know, second to Jesus, Paul is like the the one we should imitate, right? I mean, you got you got Jesus who Paul imitated, and then Paul says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." Like, he can actually confidently say that. This man who understood the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God, said, "I am chief among all sinners," and and I think centering my attention with that attitude in mind that. That I I am a broken sinner, and I have committed horrendous acts against God, and God still loved me. Um, Even while I was yet sinning, Christ died for me. And when I center myself around that spiritual reality, it helps me understand how I can approach anybody who's gone through such a struggle, so that when I approach that woman now who's considering abortion, or one who has maybe just revealed that she's pregnant, my first response to her isn't, have you repented yet? I mean, repentance is essential. Don't get me wrong. My, my response there isn't, do you understand the shame and the guilt that you should be going through right now? My response initially is, how are you doing? I mean... There's this love and tender care that we as a church are supposed to have coming alongside this. One. I'm not saying dismiss the holiness of God. I'm not saying, I'm not saying let, let's say that this is an okay thing. But I'm just saying like, they understand for the most part, especially those who are dealing with that kind of guilt, that aspect of it. So that they're looking now for, for some, some love to come alongside them. Um, there was a question that was posed I want to get to that sort of touches on one of the things you brought up, Pastor Nick. Um, this isn't really a question. Is how it starts. But when you said when when you, when you said um, that they needed to hide, that reminded me of Adam and Eve hiding from God because of the sin. And there's there's something really uh, interesting about that situation in the garden when they're running away from sin. But just prior to that, uh, when when Eve was taking a bite of the apple, um, Adam was there. And, and I think it's fascinating to when you read through the Bible that. When we look at sin being transmitted throughout the history of the world, it's not accounted to Eve, is it? It's accounted to Adam. And it kind of begs the question, why why is it Adam and not Eve? She's the one who was deceived by the devil, and Adam just happened to be there when that took place. Well, what that speaks to me is that men have been put in a position of protection over the family. God had created within the order of the system, God, man, man. Woman, children, beasts. like In that order. And what happened at the fall is it was completely reversed. You've got the serpent now who is deceiving the woman, who's now usurping authority over the man, who says, God, why did you give me this woman? It's just completely reversed in the process. The reason why I'm sharing all this with you is because when we talk about what is the responsibility of men, um, that, that man who was ministering at Planned Parenthood, he loved every life that walked into that building. Like, it wasn't just limited to the babies. It was, it was the woman. It was the man behind the scene. It was the parents, sometimes ignorant of not even knowing what was going on. But all that to say that men oftentimes will passively stand by while these things take place. It's not my issue. It's the woman's body, not mine. So therefore, I'm just going to passively stand by. And therefore, we start to now go into the same cycle that Adam had experienced when he passively stood by and allowed his wife to eat of the fruit. Do you see what I'm saying? Men have, men have, they're wired differently. I mean, studies show that, that when men and women get into an argument, women generally, they, they want to pursue their husband because of the relational aspect. Men will generally stiff arm the woman. And the reason why they stiff arm isn't because they're trying to reject the woman. It's, it's actually a protective measure towards the woman. And, it, and, re, and studies have revealed that the heartbeat of the man um, during that moment is actually equivalent to a man who's ready to jump on a grenade to, to save the men that they're serving with. So there's this protective element that God has wired into men and men are forfeiting that to some extent. So the church has a responsibility. Men have a responsibility. Women who have a responsibility, especially when we look at that intimate relationship, women's primary ministry, especially those who have children, is to their children. And so that's being forfeited now by sending the message, children are not even, they're, they're not even living beings they're, or they're lesser beings or something along those lines. And so I, I love this charge. As the church, what is it that we can do? And we can take these incremental steps. We can pray together, we can show up, and we can we can discuss what are some of the next steps that we can take individually and corporately as we as we associate ourselves with this very important subject.
0: I think also as as we think of men daily spending time in God's Word, and, and you know that's that's what we talk about a lot, is is we need to grow in God's Word and but a man who knows God's word, has been softened by God's word, has seen and tasted the grace of God, has experienced just God's gentle touch on his own life as he ascended again and again and again, is a man who's ready to give grace to others. And, and one thing that I've seen is that, and guys, you can, you can like gauge this. Um, a quality that men often don't have is, for one, to repent and, and to confess being wrong. There's a lot of guys, you hear a lot, of, a lot of sons will say, I never heard my dad confess. I never heard my dad ever ask forgiveness. You'll hear that from a lot of sons. Um, but one of the things also uh, is creating that culture of grace within your house. And if it's created in your house, then you'll create it here but if it's not in your house, it won't be here in the church. And so, thinking, man, are we creating a culture of grace? Like, will your children come to you when they've sinned? Or are they scared of you? we say, well, I want them to know I'm hard on sin. Yeah, but are you heavy on grace? Like, do they know how incredibly gracious we are? Because if we're not gracious, then no one's coming to tell Dad, when they got pregnant at 13 or 14 or 15. And there's a stigma among men, especially the generation before me. And I think I'm on the coattails of that generation. Uh, then then after me, younger men are getting weird.
1: I think that's me. Yeah, yeah. You're getting... I'm running on your coattails. Just be careful what you uh, thank say. You. Next, thank
0: so you. <laughs> thank you for sliding in how much younger you are. Um, It's an idea of what is a man, and a man is tough, a man is strong, a man is emotionless, a man makes decisions, these are a thing that a man is, and I'll just challenge you to find those in scripture, but a man is loving, is kind, um, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, displays self-control, displays the fruit of spirit, that's a man. When we look at Christ, and yeah, he would flip over tables and men go, Yes, that's what we do. But he also then ate with the tax collectors. He held the lepers and he told the prostitute to go and sin no more. Are we that man also? Um, so, so often, and I think you touched on this earlier, we, we swing, we, we take these different pendulums. And so I think that was where the man was on really the generation before me and I think I'm on the coattails of that and then the generation, I'm just pointing at this side. I'm not, I'm not saying it's you. but I'm just, um, They're kind of going a different direction and the pendulum is just swinging and saying, well, we're, we're just going to be heavy on anything. We're just going to be soft on everything. Yeah. And yet, we're, we're to be men who are, who are heavy on grace and we're gentle and we're kind. And so that only comes about from being in the word and active with other believers confessing our sins. Amen. And so, um, so we need to put those into practice. And so I just want to encourage you, especially men, uh, to be thinking through that. And, and then women, I want to encourage you to pray for your man that way. That way. And, and girls, if you're not married, pray. I want a man who loves God in his word. I want a man who deeply loves God's word, who will shepherd me with grace and gentleness and kindness. Yeah, oh, i you go.
3: Okay.
4: <laughs> Can I interject? Or go for okay, it? Okay, so now we're going to. You want you want how, to give some
0: advice? Well, how about? All right, how about this is this is fun? Let's do this. Um, did you want, do you want to give from a, a woman's perspective real quick, uh, maybe one or two things that you would say from, from your perspective that, that you think would be helpful for men if we're going to be effective in not only shepherding a church, but shepherding our families and creating cultures of grace?
4: One of the first things I would say is listen. Just Listen. Maybe ask some questions so that you can really hear what her, what her heart is, is saying.
3: Man, I'm the last to fall. Hour and a half in. I thought I'd make it. Um, <laughs> I'm crying because I'm thinking about trying. But um, uh, men, you have to be safe. And that safety starts with, um, if you're married, it starts with your wife. That she could tell you anything in the entire world. And you would meet her with compassion. And, grace. and beyond that, that needs to extend to your children. And beyond that, that needs to extend to the men in your life. Because with one in four women having an abortion by the age of 45, you know women and you know men who have been hurt by abortion. And these, for men... Men, they need to have a safe place that they can wrestle through that because a guy's involvement in abortion is so, it's all complex, but it's really complex for the guy because he may have paid for it. He may have convinced her to go get it. He may have not known until after she had the abortion. He may have said, well, I don't really care what you do. Uh, you know, he may have begged her on his knees that she wouldn't go get an abortion. And he needs someone to talk to. He needs someone who is going to listen and not judge. And so, men, you have to be, and it goes for women too, but you have to be safe. That's
0: good. Do you want to share about
3: women? Yeah, do you want to start out?
0: Yeah, uh,
4: talking about being safe. I One of the, one of the things that helps me when um, women come in and when we talk with them is, I see them as fearful. I see that um, that helps me not judge like good or bad about what they've done. By I, ju- I, I, I try to hear their fear. Um, and there's no fear at the cross. There, there's no fear in. Um, the, I mean, the Bible says, "You know, three hundred and what times? You don't fear. We do, we don't." When we walk by the Spirit, there's nothing to fear. So we have a real hope to give to those that are fearing. But, man, when when, you, when you're afraid, when they're afraid for so many reasons um, that they're pregnant and, and, man, they just can't, for so many different reasons, can't see themselves uh, carrying and parenting this child, um, a, a, a good way of helping them in that fear is just... Um, to, sh- to share hope and to share, you know, and then also just to listen, to just kind of listen a little deeper where, where, you know, where is that fear exactly and how can we come alongside you and show you where safe is and, you know. I mean, there's, there's the horizontal level where we do provide for them diapers and wipers and you know, uh, everything that they'll need but but there's also the vertical you, you know, you know, you're just pray in while you're talking with this woman that's sitting this young gal, this 15 year old I had a 15 year old um, and before I started working there um, a few months prior to that there was a 12 year old gal that was there um, the father of her baby was 14 years old so um, there was support from the parents I understand but You know, I mean, she's just a little girl, and I forgot where I was going with that. What did I say right before that? (laughs) I don't remember. Um, Just, yeah, anyway. uh,
3: Yeah. And just to um, follow up on that, women, we need to be there to support other women. And you may have never sat down with a woman who is considering having an abortion, but... um, the character of how you respond to a woman who is in crisis, who is experiencing shame, it's being built in how you're responding to other women in your life right now, how you're responding to the woman who is struggling in her marriage, who is struggling in parenting is, um, you know, whatever, struggling with pornography, whatever. Build those relationships now with those women in your inner circle, that they could tell you anything, anything in the entire world. And tell these women that, tell them, listen, you could tell me anything I'm still going to be here for you because you do know women who've had, I just want to reinforce this. You do know women who have had abortions. If you can't think of anyone, it's because none of them have told you and I'm not blaming that on you, but you do know these women. And I mean, we were talking about women, 15, 17 years. I talked to a woman that hadn't told anyone about her abortion until 50 years after her abortion. She had an abortion right after it was legalized in Washington state. And so we need to be there for each other. And, um, and the other thing I would say, too, is uh, moms, especially, how you talk about your kids really matters because young women are watching you and they're seeing what is motherhood like? Is this something I could handle? Is this something that's is this something that I should enjoy? Is this something that I would pursue? And it's so sad to see on social media in our communities that bashing your kids is a norm. It's a norm to talk about how you cannot dr- wait to get another glass of wine or you can't, you're hiding in the closet because you hate your kids or to talk about kids in ways that we would never talk about another human being. But since it's kids, it's okay. And that's shaping how women view motherhood That's shaping what is going to go through their mind when they're thinking, I'm pregnant, I, I can't be a mom, or it's shaping what they think when they have three little ones over here who they can hardly manage as it is, and now they've got another positive pregnancy test. And so, yeah, we need to be there for each other, and it's most likely in your lifetime, which I hope that you would consider volunteering at a pregnancy center, but it's most likely you won't see you won't see that, oh, life-changing scenario of this woman is going to abort and now she's not going to. But that doesn't mean that you can't still be pro-life in every single thing that you do and how you treat the born around you as well so that we don't fit yeah. that stereotype of just being pro-birth, but that we truly are pro-life.
1: Amen. You know, the other uh, the other Instagram-type stuff that drives me nuts are the ones where it's like that picture-perfect family, you know? All the white sheets and everything. that. There's no way... <laughs> that my kids are going to keep my sheets that way. So, you guys ready for some Q&A? Let's do it. All right, so this is just a good reminder. There's a scan, a barcode that you can scan on the, the insert that was handed out. And so um, if you have questions, go ahead and scan that and ask questions. And I think this one is probably um, best for you, Amelia. And the question is, is birth control pills a form of abortion?
3: Okay, so that's a really... Oh, geez, I didn't think birth control was going to come up tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I prayed it wouldn't come up tonight. No, I'm joking. Um, Okay, so it depends on, and once again, I'm not a medical person. This is where it would be better to have someone who is medical, maybe. But it depends on what the birth control is meant to do. Is it meant to stop the sperm and the egg from meeting, or is it meant to stop the implantation of then that zygote into the uterine wall? Because then if we are defining... Uh, if we are defining conception as the beginning of life, um, then whether you knew it or not, having taking a birth control that is simply stopping that zygote from implanting and that important role in development that would be a form of abortion once again, you would never really know whether or not you were actually you know pregnant um, it, it, you would never know um, but that's that 's the big yeah. answer on all that
1: uh, I, i've had friends who um, we're using a particular kind of birth control that would allow for conception to take place, but it wouldn't allow for a pregnancy to sustain. Mm. Um, and they had no idea that that was the case. And when they had found out that that's how that was being treated, it completely changed their perspective, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, I think it is an important question to ask. Yeah, um, no. You know, because yeah. there, is, there is, quite frankly, a, an aspect of ignorance attached to it. It's like birth control just, it prevents you from getting pregnant. That's kind of what it is, you know. Um, but yeah. the way in which that takes place is equally as important, especially when you identify and define when life begins.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think if I – have, I have quite a few friends who, who they don't do any birth control, and they have a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> Funny how that works. But, <laughs> but their position would be they would hold a, a sh- very strong stance that all birth control is wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, according to their conscience, that is 100% okay. Yeah. Um, and there are going to be some people that would then say, no, I'm okay with birth control. But I think what you're hearing here is you need to know what that birth control is. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to do some research behind it. But just if you come into contact with someone who is very adamant and vocal in their position against, just, just be okay with that. We don't always communicate as gently and lovingly as we should. But that would be a very acceptable position to have, and according to their conscience, it would be sin. So just, we have to be gentle with the way people will hold certain views. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, amen.
1: Um, next question. Do people realize that they are killing a person when they commit abortion? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So, uh, Vitae Foundation, which is the largest research organization um, for Pro life research. Um, They did a study on why women have abortions and um, why women choose abortion versus their two other options, which we know to be adoption and we know to be parenting. And um, we've got to all remember remember a time that you were in crisis, and so you weren't actually thinking logically, you were thinking fight, flight. You're thinking, I've got to get out of this situation. Whether or not you've had an unplanned pregnancy, we've all been in those situations. That's where she's at. And so what Vite did in this study is they found that this is how a woman is, this is how these women are thinking in this moment of crisis. They view parenting as a death to themselves because it will be a death to the life that they knew. Whether or not they already have kids, that this child, this unexpected pregnancy is going to be a death to the life that they knew. They view abortion, uh, they admitted in this research study, as a death to a child. And they view adoption, which often pro-lifers are like, oh yeah, adoption, they view adoption as the worst because it's the death to the child and to them because of the emotional turmoil that they have about that and what they believe that child will go through having to um, be placed for adoption, having to learn that when they grow up. So once again, think about this if you are, think about if you got pregnant at the most inopportune time of your life, whether that was you were 45 or you were 15 and how drastically your life would change. And this is what's going through these women's minds. So that once again is a drastic shift from where we were at when Roe v. Wade came on the scene because we didn't have the technology to actually know what was going on inside the womb. And so that is where um, where women are at that gener- genuinely they look at this and they think it's them or the baby. somebody is going to die it's is it going to be me or this you know whatever they argue it to be blob of tissue or you know zygote or embryo or.
0: I met, a, I met a pastor who he had yes. actually interviewed a an, an, an abortion doctor mm-hmm. and he sat down with him, sits across the table and says well he thought that the issue was going to be that the doctor didn't know he was taking life. And the doctor very quickly said, yeah, I know that they're all alive. They're all human. That was not the issue at all. And that was probably back 2006, 7, 8, somewhere in there. The issue is not, is it human? Is it alive? It's, it's not the issue, which means we're not trying to create a scientific or biological argument at this moment. We're in prayer for grace to happen at that moment. Because what we're seeing is there is a spiritual darkness that is clouding. Um, Not only the mom, but just the whole situation and all. So we're praying for an inbreaking of God's grace to illuminate the heart and the mind at that moment. They don't need scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. You're not going to win anyone that way.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: They need grace they need the gospel.
3: And to uh, kind of expand on that, so for me, because I've never had an unplanned pregnancy, to think, okay, how does she view this as the death to herself? Like, what is her reasoning going on? We've talked a lot about the circumstances that are surrounding these women, but I think about this story, and this is what just opened my eyes to what is going on in many of these women's lives. So um, I have a friend who was a single mom. I think she was maybe in her early 20s when she became a single mom, and she's raising this little girl and she's working and uh, she starts to have feelings for her co-worker and they begin to date and they sleep together and she gets pregnant and so she is you know kind of overwhelmed okay I'm having another baby but she goes to him kind of excited about it and she tells him hey I'm, I'm pregnant and he responds you can't be pregnant I'm married you have to have an abortion and then he goes on to convince her of why she needs to have an abortion he says Nobody's going to want a single mom of two kids with two different men. And that's what he says to her. So think about if you are in her situation, her entire identity is on the line, her worth as a woman. And that's, once again, that's where the church needs to step in, that your identity is not defined by this. Your identity is in Christ if you are a believer, and it can be in Christ. So.
1: Yeah, amen. That, um, this isn 't so much a question. Um, wanted to say thank you for being willing to stand before us and lead this discussion in a tender and biblical way. That was an hour ago, so I hope whoever wrote that still believes that <laughs> to be true. Uh, yeah, and um, th- those are the questions. Let me refresh it just to make sure there isn 't any others that have come in. Um, I think that you know as, as we close our time together, um, if I could just kind of throw a word in there. Um, there is, there is no sin um, that cannot be overcome by the cross. There, there's no sin that's so horrific that it cannot be overcome by the cross. I can't tell you um, how many times I've, I've encountered, um, this is particularly in prison ministry, where someone has inevitably said the words, you don't understand, there's absolutely no way God will forgive me. And so we spend four days talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are all fallen before a mighty and holy God, and who has chosen to love us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay the penalty of sin and death that we could never pay. The guilt, the shame, the sin that was committed, now laid on Jesus Christ. I mean, and when those men come to that understanding that Jesus is sufficient for all sin, it completely changes everything. And so that same sin um, that we're talking about also applies to the sin of abortion. And so there's, there's no abortion, there's no sin within the, the realm of abortion that can't be overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about our response, I think it's important as well to, to, to recognize if, if it's one out of four women um, who are undergoing abortion, that means that if you are in a circle of six women, at least one of them, according to those statistics, well, four women, at least one of them, according to those statistics... Has had an abortion, which means that the way that you approach that subject, the words that come out of your mouth, the way that you treat those who have undergone abortion, that there's likely one woman in that circle who is now undergoing that layer of shame that maybe you brought to the circle. But if you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ within that circle, imagine what power that brings now um, into that conversation. So I'm sure you had some other words to share as well, Pastor Nick. Oh, there are more questions. There are more questions. I thought you did a really good
0: job. <laughs> um,
1: and now I accidentally refreshed it, so now I've got to wait for it to load again. Here we and go.
3: I would just respond to what Ozan said. I, one of the biggest things I've learned working in this, uh, this field is al- just always assume you're talking to someone who's had an abortion. Always assume that there's someone in the room, and that should shape how we always talk about this issue with compassion and with grace and with hope.
1: Um, So these are rolled in within the last 10 minutes or so. 17 was one of them. How can men uh, help with the cultural response? So you're approaching a man, and you're saying you can't have an opinion because you don't have a uterus. (laughs) Pastor Nick?
0: (laughs) So I'm, I'm trying to understand the question. Are we speaking... Who, who are we addressing at this yeah, moment? Yeah,
1: the cultural response, this is to men particularly. So the happens. culture
0: is saying men don't have a, a, opinion. an opinion here. Um, yep. I mean, culture is wrong all the time. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. I mean, we, we already, you already said that the man is one of the primary influencers to, to move a woman towards abortion or away from abortion. So I, I, don't, I don't care what culture says. <laughs> um, we know that we are extremely influential. And so I think one of the things that we as men do, uh, we need to disciple other men. Yeah. We need to be in relationship with other guys. So if you're here as a man, the one thing we need to be saying is, who am I in relationship with? Who am I Who am I rubbing elbows with not once a week in this room, but who am I meeting outside of this room, training and and equipping? And maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not a Christian, but who are we helping to grow in their understanding of God and what it is to be a man who reflects his glory? Um, So we have a great influence in that. We have a great influence in how we, we speak about it in our church. Uh, with the other women who are here, to the other men who are here, to the boys who are here. Youth ministry is an amazing, but you want to go make a difference uh, for, against abortion? Be involved in youth ministry. Come alongside girls and let them know you will walk with them in everything, and you will talk with them because they need someone to talk to. Because that's not always a reality at home. Yeah. It's not. And, and I would say 50% of the kids we have in our youth group right now do not go to church. So they—they they have. I mean, this is their only influence, and we're having actually more and more uh, adults, which is a grace of God that are actually being involved in that ministry. Um, so we need—we need people within the church discipling, within youth ministries, um, outside the church, even like you meet with with guys at work. How we talk with them, and, and we all know that guys are wrestling with situations. We can either go, well, I hope they—I hope they figure it out. Which, that's the typical man response. We just kind of, what is it, we stiff arm? Yeah. And and, and we do that, or we engage. And it will get messy, it will get murky, and there will be times we want to jump out. Um, But yet, that's exactly where the transformation takes place.
3: And if I can add on to that really quick. Guys, you also need to be prepared to know um, what to say to a guy who is saying, yeah, well, it looks like she's going to get an abortion and you need to know the resources that are available at pregnancy centers because this isn't an out there idea it is a here idea this happened to one of my friends that out of the blue texted me and said hey I've got he's in the military and he said hey I've got a soldier that him and his wife just split up and then they found out they're pregnant so they're going to have an abortion because you know and so he said so I need to know like how can I get them to care now what do you guys offer what can I say how should I say things and so be doing the work now to be prepared of how do you how do you talk to a guy? Yeah,
4: yeah. I was gonna kind of, whoops, I got loud. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna um, say, kind of what you said, Pastor Nick. Just um, it's almost like a preventative measure where we're already invested in one anothering, where we're already um, in relationships within the body of believers, but also with the world. You know, where we're where they feel like you're somebody that listens to them and that cares. You know, um, so that when those other, when the trouble, when the troubles come up, um, you're going to be somebody that they would go to.
1: So we're we're running out of time. I do, I do want to ask one more question. There are a few of them that line up sort of along this theme. Uh, One is, what are we doing financially to help these women, uh, based on the many circumstances they're dealing with, and how can people practically help the clinics, or you know, um, or serve at the clinic?
4: Yeehaw! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Who asked that question, please, so I can follow up. No. <laughs> Lily, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one of the um horizontal joys or joys that I have on a horizontal level um at the clinic is uh, that we have lots of resources that we can point people to in the community Um, because often the ones that are coming to us that don't have a job and stuff just don't know uh, what's out there. Um, uh, Financially is important. I would say, again, that's on a a horizontal level. What we need even more so is prayer, that vertical level, big time, because God's got all the money. It doesn't matter, you know, Yes sir, we are Oh yeah. Extreme, so understood. And I'm sure that's and, all across the world and so burned out. And so, and so burned out. So
0: can you give I, I know you got like a list of resources over here and things that you can give, but can you just bullet out like just real succinctly what are what are three or four things guys could do? What are three or four things women could do? Like if if, if someone here was saying, "Hey, I'm willing to take a step forward." Um, what are just three or four things each a, a man or a woman could do?
4: Um, the number one need and the greatest fulfilling volunteer position is to be um, a consultant.
3: We call client advocate. They call cli- yeah.
4: at client advocate. Um, so that's a person that – and we need men and women for that because um, it's a little more rare, but when a husband and, or a boyfriend and girlfriend come in together, um, it's, it, it's essential for the young man to hear from a man, you know? I mean, I don't know how – anyway – and um, so they could <laughs> – what was I saying? Uh, yeah, that's the number one volunteering position. And then there, from there down there's other things. You could you could help with, like, events uh, that we have, like the Walk for Life, um, our, our banquet in the fall. Um, there's administrative things where you could come in and help us just, you know, stuff envelopes or something like that. But we really, really need um, – uh, those those advocates, those uh, pregnancy test uh, consultants, that will sit there in that room, listen to her story, or for the man, listen to his story. And, uh, and is that like
0: ten hours a week, or is yeah. that maybe, hey, I have three hours every Wednesday, yeah. and I yeah. could come? Exactly. So you're pretty it's flexible four. on they're that. So you're not very flexible. Okay, that's bet. good to know. Yeah, and there's what good
4: training. There's quite an extensive training, but you can compact that it doesn't have to spread out for too long but
3: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. do you want to share no
3: i'd say yeah same thing always and if that sounds intimidating because it certainly is intimidating to me to think of being the one sitting with that woman uh number one it's always important to remember that um something we say a lot and i'm sure you guys say a lot is, is god's got her and if you are the woman who is sitting with this woman considering abortion it can be hard to carry the weight of if she does decide to have an abortion. Um, but that's where we learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. And if that is something that's overwhelming, there's always a need, as she said, administrative, for receptionist. For us, we have a 24-hour helpline. And so that's something that you can volunteer from home to an extent. Uh, parenting mentor, so then you're just meeting with parents who are struggling. And you're meeting one-on-one with them, so you're not meeting with someone who's considering an abortion.
4: And to be... Quite possibly. I don't know, Steve. Is God saying that to you? <laughs> 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 and that brings up.
0: I will officially volunteer right now <laughs> once a week until efficiency. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still got some sanctification to work on. Um, <laughs> but. Cool. Praise God. Thank you. Amen.
4: Very much. So really. Yeah, men are liquid gold uh, for this. Yeah. But also. Oh, I
3: I was going to say, too, if you are a young mom, if you are a homeschool mom, if you have your kid in a private school, take the step of trying to encourage um, getting the kids to just take a tour of a local pregnancy center so they can begin to be introduced to the resources that are available in a, in a child-friendly way to the issue of abortion, to how Christians are rising up and meeting this need.
4: And one other thing about being a volunteer is um, you can't be one unless you've got a vibrant walk with Jesus. So uh, having said that, The rest are details, right? You stay surrendered to him. He'll use you.
0: We want to just thank you for coming tonight. I want to thank uh, Carolyn, Amelia, and Ozan just for being willing to come up here and and talk through this and and share about stories and share just uh, really God's word and the the hope of the gospel. I want to thank you for coming. Um, This is a tough subject. It's a weighty subject, and I'm sure there are... I think, as as Amelia said, there's countless reasons you might be here and countless emotions that you might not only care for yourself, but might also be caring for others. And so um, we'll we'll be around afterwards and, of course, you know, always after tonight even. uh, But we'd love to pray, love to talk with any of you. Um, This is an important conversation. We, We need your help to make sure this isn't the last time we talk about this as a church. Uh, we want to make this regular, not maybe always like this on a Sunday night, but making sure we're engaging, making sure we're equipping. Um, so please set aside that March 19th date. I think that's going to be really important for us as a church and just see what God does there and how he uses it. Uh, we need more people like Steve who are just willing to say, hey, I'll, just, I'll jump out right now. And just I'll be involved. And so if you are feeling that, I would say that's probably the spirit moving in you. And come talk to Carolyn or Amelia about what that could look like. They would love to get you involved just as quickly as possible. So I just want to thank you for coming. So I'm just going to close in prayer. And then by all means, feel free to spend as much time here as you'd like. We'll turn off the lights eventually, but you can always get out through the doors. Let me pray. Father, we, we just praise you. We thank you for, and they just thank you again for Carolyn, for Amelia, for Ozon being willing to come up and share about stories, about the truth of abortion, but most importantly the hope we have in you. And I pray we as a church, I pray that we've grown softer, more gentle, more gracious, and, and just grown in our understanding of abortion of why a woman would consider it, on the importance on discipleship of men, women, and children. So Lord, I pray that we continue to wrestle with this topic, and I pray that you use us as a church, just as a means, as your instrument, in whatever capacity you would have, that we could be a light in Thurston County, in King, in Pearson, and wherever it is that we would be that we would share the light of Jesus Christ, and that more and more people would know that there is hope in him. And Lord, I pray that as we've heard repeatedly tonight, prayer is so important. May we pray. May we pray for options. May we pray for care May we pray uh, for every woman that approaches a Planned Parenthood. May we pray for the men who are involved in these situations. May we pray for us as a church that would be more engaged. Lord, I pray that we would We just be more active in our prayer life. So move us that way, trusting that, Lord, you use our prayers as a means of accomplishing your purposes. And so, God, we just humbly come before you realizing that, Lord, you are abundantly glorious and powerful. And so we ask that you do a work uh, in our lives, in this church, in the lives of of women and, and men who are considering abortion. So, Father, bless tonight. Um, I pray that this will be the first of many, many conversations to come. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, I think there may be uh, more popcorn on the side. We do have uh, a table up here where Carolyn and Amelia would love to answer more questions.